Welcome everyone to episode 126 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to reflect on Liverpool's 2-2 draw with Arsenal. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. What an unbelievable game of football that was at Anfield. Arsenal went ahead in the eighth minute through Gabriel Martinelli. And then by the half-hour mark, it was 2-0. It looked like the game was over. It looked like it could only get worse for Liverpool from there, to be honest. But Mohamed Salah pulled one back before half-time. And then three minutes before the end of normal time, Roberto Firmino comes off the bench, scores an equaliser. And Liverpool also missed the penalty. They were denied by one of the best saves, if not the best save you'll see this season. And we'll get into all of that over the course of this episode. But Chris, like I say, maybe the busiest episode of the season, certainly one of the busiest in terms of the amount of stuff that we've, we've got to really cover. Um, but we'll start, as we usually do, with our three-yard match reviews. And it does seem, I think, and, and maybe you see it differently, but it does seem like there was a clear turning point in that game towards the end of the first half. Yeah, um, I'd say, I, I, I was thinking for three words earlier on today and I was thinking along the lines of, we see at half-time or maybe at 2-0, you're thinking more, you know, top four gone, that kind of attitude. And to, to an extent, I still think it is now, even with the draw. But um, I, a crazy game. A crazy game. <laughs> it, it, it's just bonkers how it all unfolded, really. Um, I'm aware, obviously, the, the, the point that you're... Uh, Referring to, um, sometimes teams need uh, a kick to uh, or a kick to, to get started, but uh, other parts of the anatomy may also play <laughs> a part in that. Um, I'm sure. Well, the the powers that be will uh, will discuss that further. But you know, at, at two nil, really did look like it could have been anything in terms of Arsenal. You know, just. just Plowing on, knowing how important the game it was for them. Like, you know, we hear people talk before the game talking about if they'd won at Anfield, would that be the Premier League title pretty much secured for Arsenal with the, the, the running coming up, even with having to go to the Etihad, even with having to go to St James's Park? But you saw a real which has been missing at many points this season. We've said about the, the home form being top four and the away form being mid table relegation form, but you know, Anfield does crazy things to, to teams and when the crowd really gets up and, and backs the team, strange things, good, great things do happen and there was a real backability, real fight today. Yeah. Obviously, a lot still went against the team but, you know, there was there were signs that all are still knocking about. It's just how to unlock those, just how to unlock those qualities. So, a crazy game. I would have also gone with ups and downs, just given how, how bonkers the, the game was as a whole. Because he, the first half, even walking back from the ground, did irk me a little bit, just thinking about how poor the start was. But uh, a crazy game. I'm sure many people may well see it as a Premier League classic. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the top four point. For me, it was kind of independent of that in a way. I mean, you know, you look at the match before this game, for Liverpool to reach the the top four. Um, average, which is seventy points over the um, over the last five years, 
they needed to, I think it was win nine out of their last 10. So that would be nine out of their last nine um, to get to that point. Um, so really, it, it is unrealistic at this point. But I think at that kind of, in a weird way, as much as it was disheartening, meant I was able to kind of enjoy this game independently of that. Um, and, you know, we've been involved in plenty of classics in the club era, but I'm not sure there's any of kind of, been able to kind of appreciate is it as a game as a spectacle as much as this one really but yeah i mean on this whole thing of you know the turn and point um i, I have to agree that, that that was what flipped it because in in that first phase of the game arsenal were playing right through the heart of liverpool the golf in class was frightening to be fair um they were winning all the challenges i mean they looked stronger they looked you know they had more, more desire as well as having kind of the superior game plan, very similar to City in terms of Liverpool's inability to play out from the back. And I thought that was worse than, than what we saw against Real Madrid, really, because in that game, there was an element of bad luck in the kind of the margin, and it was a little bit deceiving. I mean, today it was, you know, that was first against the eight or whatever Liverpool were at a kickoff. But it had been billed as this kind of season-defining test of our Arsenal's metal. Um, Arteta said before the game that Anfield was going to be a jungle and it felt after half an hour like it was the stadium was flat that they were a little bit sort of stunned by um, the masterclass that I, that they'd seen from Arsenal which I, I think that is a, a fair term to use uh, but also kind of the fact that it did it felt off to me at the start it felt like yeah you know especially because of how it had been built beforehand as you know Liverpool kind of conjuring up this kind of Anfield power it felt off and it, it felt like it was going to be, you know, really flat and just peter out and get worse. But then obviously this Shaka moment is the equivalent, you know, the following season of what happened last year in this game when it was nil-nil and Mane, I, I think it might have been Tommy Yasu or maybe it was White and he elbowed elbowed him a little bit as he went up for a header. Arteta got furious on the sidelines, this big altercation with Klopp. I, I was at Anfield that day and... The, the, the way the game turned, the way the, the whole feel of the stadium turned after that moment, you know, was palpable. And, it, you know, obviously Liverpool went on to win 4-0 that day. That was the equivalent of it this year. Arteta had tried so hard to contain Anfield. You know, you see the players going down every yeah. time there's even a hint of momentum. But Shaka, unfortunately, the one who does, I mean, how much it's fair to criticise him, I'm not sure. But I think, you know, it was kind of out of nothing. The one who has got the previous in terms of being a little bit rash has kind of lit a fire under Anfield today. And I just want to bring up a stat. We'll move on in a second. But I, I looked up after the game, the stats before and after that, that 41st minute incident, or maybe a little bit earlier where both of them um, got booked. And so beforehand, Liverpool had had four shots and Arsenal had five. And in the sort of... Well, it would have been five minutes of the first half, full second half, and out of time. Um, in the time that remained, Liverpool had 17 shots and Arsenal had four. So it really did completely turn the game on its head. And Arsenal are defending a lead in that spell. But you could just see it with your own eyes, really, and hear it as well, whether you're, whether you're at the stadium or at home. But let's um, let's move on from that anyway. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on some of the points there a little bit more, but... The, the overriding emotions then, Chris, because like I said at, at the start, you know, we've seen that save from Ramsdale. 
Canate almost bundled it in with the last kick of the game. Salah missing a penalty. Nunez got sent through one-on-one and missed. Um, do you feel sort of, are you pleased with the fight back and the point or are you ruining the fact that, that Liverpool didn't win or both? I'd say both because after the, fir- after the first half an hour, I think there's more than a legitimate claim to say Arsenal didn't really lay a glove on Liverpool after hmm. the first half an hour. And that's the most frustrating thing because certainly earlier on with the season, all the talk about Liverpool going behind in games, having to fight back and not necessarily doing so. Who you're up against? If you go 2-0 down, it could be to the, the you know, Rochdale, bottom of League 2. If you go 2-0 down to Rochdale, you, you've got a fight back on your hands. So going 2-0 down to the Premier League leaders, you can imagine how much of a hill you have to climb when you do that. And it's just, it was just so avoidable. Again, um, two really poor goals to concede defensively. The first one was just panic at the back. And the second, again, I said at half-time, I I'm, not, I'm not sure the exact point that Liverpool became so bad air, really, in defence. But that has been a reoccurring theme ever since the World Cup, especially. Uh, but also a little bit before it as well. And Dykes, Mark and thin air as well there, isn't he? Like, yeah, yeah. But Jesus has just stood behind him. There's no one else for him to worry about. And I don't know if he sees him and then doesn't react or if he doesn't see him at all. And I don't know which of those is worse. But either way, I mean, that was terrible from him. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously for both goals, he was culpable. Let, let, let's be honest about it. Um, and Robertson, again, he, he's trying to come across, can't get in there. But afterwards, as I said earlier, you just saw the signs of there is still life in Liverpool. Um, looking at those big chances you mentioned in the second half, I mean, it was funny. Just as Salah put the ball down and took a step back, my brain went, wait a minute, he missed a Bournemouth here. And the the worst part about the penalty miss, and I think we'll, we'll probably because Klopp's spoken out about that. It's the way he it's not the fact he missed it. If it had been saved by Ramsdale, okay. It's the fact that it's the second penalty in a row that's missed the target. Hmm. That's the big concern here. Nunez, I'll be honest, I didn't have confidence that he'd finish it. Maybe it's because we've seen that happen so often this season and he, he needs the consistency in his game to be finishing off those situations. Um and Canate, again, he's a man that's never scored a Premier League goal. And I think he kind of got a little bit confused as to what to do with it in the end. Um, the chances were there. I also saw Arsenal fans, Martinelli's goal and assist being frustrated that he couldn't finish off the, the pass to Saka at the end. And who knows how big a moment that could be in, in the title race as well. But yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a case of what could have been the those chances because I think Liverpool would have still been uh, would have still been 10 points off the top four even with a game in hand had they claimed two extra points but ultimately you know draws we've seen it at the top end of the table in the title race haven't we that draws do often kill you in the end yeah I mean there's just so much that that happened um, within could this game could be an hour long podcast this it, it could <laughs> uh, I mean so uh, let's start by looking at the XG. Um, Liverpool oh. 4.76, Arsenal 1.81. Um, another stat, this is XG philosophy on Twitter, by the way. Liverpool created 1.5 XG more 
today than they did in the 7-0 win against Man United. I mean, it's one of the highest XG figures I've ever seen for Liverpool, obviously inflated by the fact that there was a penalty in there, which is basically 0.75 in itself. But even still, you know, you earn penalties. They, they, they do count for that. Um, I, I guess you look at that and you're like, you know, that should be that should be a Liverpool win. Um, you know, the point that it was at in the first half, it's like, you know, maybe the draw the draw is good from that that standpoint. I mean, it's crazy to think about how the, the feeling that I had in the first half in terms of this is going to get ugly for Liverpool. Liverpool look nowhere near Arsenal. Yeah. This is not the game I anticipated at all. For me to then have that feeling and then be there at the end, like how on earth have Liverpool not managed to win that game Yeah, is, is really a sort of marker of how sort of much it turned around and and suppose how much Liverpool did did fight back um, after their poor start. Um and if we, I guess if we if we break it down individually, we will come on to the penalty in a second. Um, Nunez, I think Carragher nailed it. To be fair, in commentary, he said, um, "Look, there's been patience with Nunez this season. People are focused on the good. He's got 14 goals, I think. Um, and regardless of where we end up this season, I think that that's how this season's going to be boxed. It's going to be fair season, promising signs, season problems." But if those moments are still happening next season, then, then yeah. that does become a big problem. Um, yeah. And, you know, this season, you know, you mentioned there, Liverpool's still been at 10 points off top four if he'd missed that chance. It isn't. as You know, when Arsenal missed chances in that game, it's like, is that their season on the line? That wasn't Liverpool's season on the line today when he was going through, but it was a poor finish again. And I never was saying to that. You just don't have confidence in him. It, no. it, it, it feels like the, keep, the keeper's the favourite, really. Has he hit 20 big chances missed yet this season? Without, without trying to focus on the negative, it, 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 was, it, was, it was at least 12 to 15, not, not that long ago. But it, it, I think there was a bit of a feeling that he wouldn't necessarily finish it off. And it, it's, it, is, it is a frustration. Yeah, I'll just check that for you now, actually. Um, actually, he's on 18. Because Haaland is top of this list with, with 20 himself. Yeah. But, you know, that's just but, obviously how much chances he has and, you know, percentage-wise, he's still putting a lot of them away. That's the thing. It's okay to miss them as long as you're, you're scoring them. And with Nunez, you just don't have the confidence that you will. The Canate one, um, I'm not... I mean, it's painful. I think <laughs> I think we thought it was going to be a goal, but you, you watch it back, it is... A, a really awkward height, and I think he's sort of tried to kind of he's on, almost on his knees trying to chest it in, yeah, into the net. Um, so I, you know, it's unfortunate that one, I think. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the penalty. Um, because I'm still, I mean, we're a few hours after the game here, I still don't really know how I feel with it. I think, broadly speaking, I feel I feel good about the game, I think. Um, but we'll, we'll come on to that again a bit later. So you mentioned there that he missed the Bournemouth, Chris. But that's not the only issue. He's also missed either look four out of twelve since the start of last season. I mean, that's obviously a third of the penalties he's taken. Um, he also missed against Leicester in a game that we lost last year, which is obviously quite an important one. And in the Champions League game against AC Milan when we won. Um, so I mean, it's, that's still an all right conversion rate, but it should be higher than that. I think I think you're looking at that and you're saying sort of. Probably you want you want 10, 10 of those twelve to be scored for by your number one penalty taker. Um, so the question naturally is: Does Mo Salah need to come off penalties now? 
it, it, it's it's tough. I mean, to reiterate what I said earlier, it's the fact that both have missed the target in the same manner. And with the Ramsdale one thing, the more I look at that, I feel like Ramsdale was expecting Goudeau to go down the middle because he wasn't really committed to either corner. And then he kind of flung himself to his right in the end. And if it's if it's if it's on target, it goes in because Ramsdale's nowhere near it. I suppose then when you ask that question, you're then looking at which other regular starter should be on them. I suppose the first one that comes to mind would be Fabinho, mm-hmm. given his record for, for Monaco. Um, give his record for, for Liverpool as well when when relied upon last season. Okay, good. Did he score? Was it was it two he scored or was it just one? Uh, scored scored against Watford, scored against Shrewsbury. So you know, there were two penalties there, um, which is ironic because the first one I saw him took in a friendly I think against Torino. He missed <laughs> yeah. it. Field Road, he, he put that about five yards wide. That one, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's the one. I think Gapo could take them as well. Um, mm. But Fabinho is probably the one that jumps out as the most reliable if he's to take over from Salah. And I think for Klopp to actively say that he's going to talk to Salah about this is interesting because Milner has spoken recently about giving full responsibility to Salah. And I think we mentioned that after Bournemouth because they were both on the pitch at that point. Uh, Milner, of course, wasn't on the pitch today mm-hmm. um, but I suppose you do have to think about who's going to be the replacement if you're going to take Salah off them but to, to, to miss the target twice in a row is the biggest concern for me easily yeah painful to watch when the keeper goes the wrong way and then you've got so much goal there as well Oh, that uh, makes, and, that he, and, he, and he puts it worse. past the post um, yeah. so this is tricky because if you you don't want to end up remember the situation City were in I think they missed a ridiculous amount of penalties. De, um, De Bruyne, Mares, even Aguero had his shot. Yeah, they, they went through a few. You don't want to end up in that kind of position because, you know, if you take penalties off Mo Salah and give them to Fabinho, I mean, that is a lot of pressure for Fabinho. On top of the pressure of just taking a penalty generally, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you're doing it instead of one of the best players in Liverpool's history now. Um, so you've got to manage the dynamics of it, I think. Um Look, the record recently isn't good enough, but one thing that might work in our favour is if we can get a couple more penalties before the end of the season, the games may not mean that much from here on out. I mean, we could be talking about competing for sort of fifth to seventh or whatever. That's not incredibly high pressure. Today was higher pressure because of kind of the opponents and and the fight back and, and the atmosphere and things like that, but if you can kind of give Salah some maybe low-pressure penalties and he can put a couple of those away, then that maybe gets his confidence back. I, I think you sort of... I mean, he said he's going to talk to Salah about it. I don't know how that conversation goes because Salah's obviously going to say, look, you know, trust me, I can, yeah. I can carry on taking these pens. So I don't know what Klopp, I don't know what's the basis for the decision that Klopp's going to make there. And Maybe he's going to say to him, why do you think you've missed? What are you going to do differently kind of thing? And maybe it can be constructive from that standpoint. I expect that he'll still back Salah. And that's what I think he does need now a couple of... The problem with penalties, it is kind of self-perpetuating, I think, is you know when you yeah. miss when you miss one, the next one becomes harder. It's not just kind of independent yeah. of that. So I think, you know, get a couple of... of um, get, get another run together of penalties again, because, you know, as much as that record is poor, 
up until I suppose even that Bournemouth game, it did feel like an automatic goal. To be fair, just today, I yeah, think it was yeah. in the back of my mind that he missed his last one. So I was more nervous than I would have been, I think. That that's yeah, that's what I mean. When I said literally well as he stepped back, I thought, Oh dear, Bournemouth. And then yeah. it was just hoping that he would. Um so just thinking then, I mean you get you know the average people on the street just saying like, Oh, it's it's kicking the ball twelve yards, how hard can it be? Okay, it's kicking the ball twelve yards with broadcast in X amount of countries around the world yeah. in front of X amount of people inside a football stadium. It's not that straightforward. Like it, it, like it takes cojones, if I'm to use a word, um, and or not to go in on Salah. And what what I'm, what I do think is that the next time he takes one, it will it will be interesting. And it's also worth because there's the new thing now. I'm not entirely sure how it works because there's the new thing where. When everyone's crowding the ref, someone else will hold the ball. Then you give it, to, you pop it off to the penalty taker just before he takes it. Surely, surely most players do their homework on who's likely to take a penalty. And yeah. Isn't, you know, so I, I do, th- I do. You know, whether someone just goes straight up to Salah next time and starts goading him or whatever, whether he has to live with that. But um, the next time he takes one, I do think there'll be focus on him, um, but. That's why he's currently the highest paid player in Liverpool's history. Um, to to be within pressure moments and, and mm, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he'll be back. I'm sure it won't be long until he scores his next penalty. It's, it's like Harry Kane, look, missing that penalty at the World Cup, and then I think he's been 100 percent from the spot for for Spurs ever since. So players do recover from those situations, and hopefully Salah can. I was watching final score yesterday, and that's the last thing I'll say on this. Tony missed his first penalty for Brentford and they they said it, in the studio someone else was holding the ball. Jensen had had hold yeah. of the ball um, before he took his second and they thought, oh, are they going to give this penalty to Jensen? So next time we get a penalty, let's maybe have Milner if he's on the pitch or Fabinho or somebody else holding the ball as if they're going to take it and yeah. then Salah can kind of maybe step up and say maybe, maybe that's something to try because there is something, yeah. you know, um, psychological, obviously, when it comes to penalties and little kind of marginal gains can be key. Um, yeah, well, I want to move on to Trent Alexander-Arnold in a second because I think he's probably the most fascinating individual from today, even ahead of Salah. Um, just a reminder before that, though, that you can email us at redsunrestrictedpodcast.gmail.com with any kind of comments um, about the podcast questions you want us to answer. Um, and we'll be grateful to receive those and definitely get back in touch. And if you are listening on Spotify um, and you're enjoying the podcast, please do give us a five-star review. It only takes a second and we very much appreciate it. And, um, you know, subscribe to the podcast as well so it appears in your feed. Same applies, obviously, to Apple and any other podcast medium. So, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Chris, what a kind of eventful game for, for him. I mean, the way I saw it, he had predictable and major problems dealing with Gabriel Martinelli. But something happened for him with that incident. It, he was either going to get sent off or he was going to kind of, it was going to really kind of ignite him. And thankfully it was the latter. Um, and obviously gets the assist right at the end with a wonderful piece of play. And then on top of all of that, on top of that kind of, you know, this really eventful game of both ends, He's playing in in what looks a little bit like a midfield position. So, 
a lot to get your teeth into there on Trent, I suppose. I don't know how it came across television. Very first thing that came to my mind that what's happened to John Stones at Man City in that he starts at and literally doesn't play there. And I thought it was so strange. It, it felt like almost a bit of an experiment, to be honest. Um, because a lot of the talk pre-game was whether Joe Gomez would stay there. And if Joe Gomez did stay there, would Trent Alexander-Arnold play in midfield? And, and, and that, that whole discussion. Because for the large spells of this game, they're near right back. Hmm. It has to be said. Um, Canate was almost having to do the job of right back and centre back at the same time. Hmm. What a game he had, by the way. Oh, yeah. Just an incredible game. Um, I think, rightfully say, there were predictable issues dealing with Gabriel Martinelli. You just have to look at the game of the Emirates about how well Martinelli played against Trent Alexander Arnold that day. But I think we saw. We saw really exciting signs of what Alexander-Arnold can do in a central role um, because he just looked really natural there. He looked you know, the way he was pinging passes, the way he was finding his men, the way he was getting forward. It felt like Alexander-Arnold of the last few years, certainly in terms of going forward. Um, and as well, like a bit of wing trickery. When was the last time that we saw him beat a man like he beat Zinchenko and deliver the ball to the back post? That's what we've seen from Alexander-Arnold in terms of his adventure going forward. And it was great to see that again. Of course, there's a lot to look at in terms of, again, the defensive side of his game. Um, it felt like a weird game to see an experiment in, though, didn't it? Like of all, yeah. of all games to experiment for a role like this against the league leaders. I mean, yeah. it worked to an extent. It, it it was really kind of interesting and and I think unexpected. You know, Farrell and I were on here uh, pre-match talking about how we thought Gomez should start. Um, and the thing with, with Trent, you know, we kind of foresaw the difficulties with Martinelli, I suppose. Um, the thing with Trent is when Liverpool were at their best, it was, you know... He had his good games defensively, but if we're being honest, broadly speaking, it's he does so much going forward. He's doing so little defending that you can kind of minimise those weaknesses because it is a weakness and, you know, maximise the strengths. Today, the role, I think, still didn't quite do that. You know, the, it was still a problem at the back, um, obviously, certainly for that um, second Arsenal goal. But you definitely saw more from him going forward. And if that's connected to the kind of, um, to the role change, then that's definitely something to be explored because we have seen obviously a, um, a decrease in production um, from Trent in that side of the game. The thing that frustrated me with the whole sort of role change was you've got like Neville there in commentary saying, you know, why is Klopp doing this? You know, he's he's only had a few days to train. You're playing against the league leaders, things like that. And and you know, similar to what you said, Chris, about it being a strange game to try it. But the same people who question Klopp for keeping everything the same and then not getting the results, then criticise him when he, he does change things. And did we not see that in midweek? I mean, I criticise Klopp for the changes. But again, you know, I'm not maybe someone who has kind of 
racist thing about loyalty all the time all season, but you get to people who are like, oh, he's too loyal to certain players, and then he takes them out of the team. You're like, oh, well, what, what, what do you do? And it's like, you can't win to a degree. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of people have said, you know, let's use these final 10 games to experiment, you know, let's let's do something useful. And sometimes that doesn't happen, but we saw that today. I think Klopp said something in the press conference about he's done this before, th- this kind of role. And we've seen him pop up in these positions, but <clears throat> I don't recall anything like today for such a sustained period. Um, the question now is, was this tactical for today? Or is this kind of what trend, where trends could be playing for the rest of this season? And and we'll see, um, I suppose, in that next game against Leeds in just over a week's time, whether that is going to be the case. Um, let's talk about a few more individuals quickly and we'll, before we come on to sort of the last section of the podcast. Um, you've already mentioned Canate. Um, I think he's been one of Liverpool's best players. This season. He's not played all that much football, but certainly there's not many who have been better than him, to be fair. Um Really aggressive today, uh, and that's what the game needed. Um, just about kept it within the realms of the law, too, which is good. I do think he's got a bit of a problem when it comes to jumping out of the fence. We saw that against Chelsea a little bit, I think. Um, hurt Liverpool, um, today, uh, for that first goal. So, we but that you know, let's be fair, you know, he is still a young player, and isn't is that not a perfect example of kind of maybe slight rashness, I suppose, which is the kind of thing that you do iron out as a defender. Um, but anyone else kind of st- stand out to you, Chris? Because it, it was interesting, wasn't it? I was doing player ratings in this game, and after the first 40 minutes, I was looking at threes, fours, and fives. By the end, it's kind of this really broad range where there's a few players kind of pushing on to, for sort of seven. So who stood out for you, um, aside from those couple that we've already mentioned? Thiago Alcantara took three minutes to play better than any Liverpool midfielder has in his absence. <laughs> Got to agree to be fair. <laughs> that the the outside of the foot ball round the corner. I think it was Gakpo on the far side. Just wonderful. Um, again, I've heard the argument recently that he slows Liverpool down. It's never an argument that I've been interested in getting involved in because I just do not agree with it at all. Um, I understand article at times, but when you've got a player of his ability and vision, you've just got to accept that. And again, uh, you know, he's been a massive miss because he hasn't been available an awful lot this season, but he, he's just a, a wizard. He's just, he's just absolutely wonderful. Um, but I do genuinely mean that as well at the same time about it, about it taking three minutes. Um, as well saying Henderson got an assist and a pre-assist. I thought he was better than he has been recently uh, today. Um, it, it, it's good not to have, a, to have to give a shout out to Alisson for once. Um, yeah, <laughs> given uh, how busy he's been recently, but now if I'm to point out one more person, it would be Thiago. Uh, but also, um, how many more goals Roberto Firmino is going to score in a Liverpool shirt? Uh, so to say, I might have well, it might be the last Roberto Firmino goal I see live personally. So that that was that was a a, a great moment. Uh, Hopefully, it yeah. won't be his last for Liverpool, but it might be the first, might be the last SC live. So, uh, yeah, just a, a shout out, of course, to uh, to see Senior. 
Yeah, definitely. And um, with kind of playing time um, as well, you, you don't know. You'd like to think he would get a couple more, but it's um, it's far from certain. And if that is to be the one he signs off with, then that would be kind of a um, a great one, you'd have to say. Um, hopefully it's not a kind of um, Stephen Gerrard type thing where it's <laughs> um, it's in sort of a 6-1 defeat or something. But um, who knows with this Liverpool team this season, I suppose. His, South, his Southampton favorite. trying to stay up on the final day. <laughs> <laughs> his favourite opponents as well. 11 Premier League goals against Arsenal. Yeah, it was going to be him. Be glad to see the back of him. Going to be him or Jota, I suppose. Um, yes. I, I, thought, I thought Firmino was, was brilliant when he came on, just generally, to be fair. Loads of good moments from him. Um there was that. I think one of the first things he did was kind of touch the ball around the corner, leading to the uh, the chance for Nunez. And one of the player who I've not really seen getting any praise um, is Jota. And he came off after sixty minutes, and he his goal drought will now officially go beyond the year. But he puts in the he said he's instrumental in the the first goal. I think he has he plays a part in the build up twice there. I think he plays the cut back to Henderson, and then he's involved earlier on. Um, he wins the penalty as well. And there was also an important clearance that he made right at the start. I think, you know, when Martinelli goes around trying to get to the byline, comes into yeah. the, the six-yard box, Jota's back yes. there, clears it. I think it hits someone, but, you know, we see, he potentially prevents a goal there. So what do you say about your forwards? If they can't score themselves, affect the game in other ways. And he did that um, multiple times today. So credit to Diogo Jota, um, which... He certainly needs at the moment because obviously not going for him in front of goal, but um, still, you know, helped this side out today. Um, right, coming towards the end now, Chris. The one I wanted to ask about um, Liverpool's record at Anfield. Um, still, only one defeat in the Premier League this season on home soil. That was against Leeds, but we've not we've not lost in front of fans. Um, home to a big six team since January 2016 uh, when we played Man United. That, that, that's in the Premier League, by the way, as well. Um, I mean, it's like we touched on at the start with Arteta referring to it as a jungle. It says a lot that this stadium has retained so much power this season in spite of how poor Liverpool have been, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, well, Melier made nine saves in that game as well. Mm. So... Could well have been uh, unbeaten. Um, yeah, I remember. Well, I remember that game. You know, it's a Rooney winner. It was. Um, yeah, quite late. Yes, uh, unfortunately, I was watching it in a bar full of, with uh, some of my Manchester United friends at university, which was a fun experience. <laughs> um, uh, as I said earlier, Anfield does strange things. Um, you know, just tell Barcelona that. Um, you know. Um, to Dortmund, that you know, City or all you know, everyone, you know, most teams down the years, probably Real Madrid fans would say, um, but you know, most teams experience a tough time at Anfield. Um, it was, it was a bear pit today, it really, really was. Um, admittedly. In the first half hour, and mm. for the first half hour, I have to say, Arsenal fans were some of the best I've ever seen um, at Anfield. As as well, I will say, massive, massive thanks and credit to Arsenal fans for an impeccably observed uh, minute silence and remembrance of the Hillsborough disaster. Because a year on from 
experiences I've had at a football game where such silence was not observed correctly. Mm. It was wonderful to uh, you could have heard a pin drop. Arsenal yeah. fans, mass, mass oh, that travelling end, massive credit to them because they're a credit to their club. They mm. really, really were today. Um, players sense it as well when the crowd gets up, um, and I think they 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 know that with the crowd behind them, there's always a chance. And yes, it hasn't happened this season in terms of the season as a whole. But as I mentioned earlier, the home form's top four form, and just end you know, end the season well. Still got um, nine, nine games to go. End it well and see how it goes in the next season. Um, what whatever form of European football that may be, if European football at all. But mm. of course, you know, Anfield will always be, you know, a, 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 you know, a bear pit one way or another. Yeah, look, you you know, you got people on social media who question this atmosphere. I mean, and the power of this stadium. I don't know how much more evidence they need um, to drop that. Um, the one final thing we absolutely have to discuss before we finish up, and we, we can't overlook it, is the linesman elbowing <laughs> Andy Robertson in one of the, you know, it's, it's funny with football, you know, you we, we all watch so many games, so many seasons, but every so often something happens that you've just never <laughs> ever seen before. Um, I mean, what did you think of that? I mean, have you seen any kind of further details about it? Um, and what might have happened because I think we're all still a bit sort of shocked by, by what happened there. I'll be honest, at the time, I didn't have a clue what was happening because I'd, you know, it was, the whistle had just blown. I was kind of composing my thoughts. I, I didn't look, I wasn't looking at the pitch. And then I see a bit of a, a kickoff, um, certainly with, with, with the players you know, uh, surrounding, uh, surrounding the officials. Um, I've seen. I've seen obviously the footage uh, on on Sky. Um, you know, we, we only get the replays, don't we? They, the very you know, when it was very zoomed in, there's a there's an undeniable movement of the arm. Hmm. I have to say there is an undeniable movement of the arm. Uh, that's a, a get off me motion. Whether Robertson has maybe touched his arm to to request to speak to him, and, and he's just said, you know, get off me or whatever. Uh, we, we we don't know. Um, I haven't seen anything more on it. Um, I know Klopp said he hasn't seen the incident, or he said afterwards he hadn't specifically seen it. Uh, the PGMOL, of course, made a statement. Um, so I, I think I'd imagine we'll we'll hear more of it pretty uh, pretty soon. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't say without knowing the full details to be honest. But Rob Robertson clearly knows uh, what what he felt about it. Yeah, it's funny we're, we're talking about it like it's a a VAR handball decision, but, <laughs> but, that, but that's how they might um, that's how they might analyze it. Um, all right, very final word then, Chris. Final thing of the of the podcast. Um, in terms of concluding and looking forward now, do we take heart from this game? Um, because it was a brilliant fight back, but we have seen. Obviously, Liverpool struggled badly in the first 30 minutes and we've seen how Liverpool have kind of maybe had problems motivating themselves for games that aren't big games at Anfield this season. So, I suppose, how much cause for optimism is there for the rest of this season um, and, and maybe latterly um, next season as well? 
I think the reputation the Liverpool have of good finishes to the campaign under Jurgen Klopp will hopefully ring true again. Um, but as you mentioned, in terms of getting anywhere near Champions League qualification points, and that's relying everybody else to mess up as well, perfection is required. Final nine games. If that happens, uh, Liverpool would finish. I still think, even with nine points out of nine, it would feel a bit too far out of reach um, in terms of asking the likes of Spurs, Tottenham, United to sorry Spurs and Tottenham, <laughs> Newcastle, Tottenham, and United to um, to to drop off. Of course, Brighton as well. I mean, we all know how hard done by they were on uh, on Saturday. Um, what one final final thing I have to say because I, I didn't mention it earlier on. Save from Salah. Be the best save I've seen live in terms of just yeah. clawing it out of the air. Mm. And look, if they win the title by a point, it'll, it'll go down as a save of the season. Um, got in credit where credit's due. And I, I didn't even see until afterwards it take the, took a little bit of a deflection at the end, which yeah. made an even better save. Um, but it, it, it's a it's a staggering save. Um, well, for for Liverpool the whole, just try and end the season well, and go in go into the summer with a feel good feeling. I think that's fair to say, isn't it, lad? Absolutely. Um, on the save, that I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say I rate Ramsdale as one of the top 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 goalkeepers, but um, that save was much better than the one he made against Leicester last season. I had I had everybody sort of um, stunned. That, yeah. that that I just, I got to hold my hands up and said that was a, just a ridiculous save. Um, and we'll see what kind of ramifications it has. Um, like you say, um, in terms of the the Premier League title race, and hopefully next season this fixture, because you know if Arsenal are here to stay at the top, and and that remains to be seen. Hopefully this fixture. Is kind of as charged as it was for the last sixty minutes, but it's because um, it's kind of got Premier League title um, ramifications for both teams, not just one of them. Liverpool will be back in action against Leeds um, on the Monday Night Football a week tomorrow. Um, Leeds having just lost five-one against Crystal Palace, so I wonder how that one will go after Liverpool <laughs> after Liverpool battered the. Um, Top team top of the Premier League for about 60 minutes today. Um, you know, that it, it, this may be aligning a little bit um, for a, a Liverpool special there. Um, you'd have to say, but let's not um, let's not be too pessimistic about that one. We'll see what happens at Ellen Road in the meantime. I think I'm gonna just go and have some Easter eggs, try and wind down after um, after that unbelievable game, and um, yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you after Leeds. Just one quick last thing before we go. If you are watching on YouTube, please do like the video, um, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. But yeah, we'll be back um, in a, a week or so's time after that game against Leeds. But until then, take care.